was just an ordinary day and everything was going along smoothly. I was working here at the Des Moines Airport for Northwest Airlines as a customer service agent. Little did we know that in one minute everything would change. It was a Tuesday morning and it was crystal clear skies, like a beautiful September morning. And I was 14 years old, freshman in high school. And a friend of mine came up to me, saw on TV that there was a, a plane that hit a building in New York. I woke up to the call that one tower had hit. I immediately started to get ready because I knew work would be calling, and sure enough, work called. Not many people had cell phones, and the internet was not the way it is today. We had a TV back in the break room behind the TWA ticket counter. Stood there and watched it for a long time while I was still getting dressed, and then saw the second plane hit the tower. I was checking more and more people in for upcoming flights, and I overhear that another plane had crashed into the Pentagon. And so at that moment, everything stopped at the newspaper and we put all our effort into getting the news out in a special edition. People were lined up outside the building of the register waiting to get that newspaper in their hands to understand what was going on. Because one plane hits and then the second plane hits and then we hear about Washington and then another one to Pennsylvania and we just had no idea what was going on next. The Des Moines airport was shut down. The air had never been that quiet. So many people were scared because it was just the unknown. We had never been through a day like that before. All aircraft in the air had to land at the closest airport. So we had planes literally en route all over the country landing here at the Des Airport. But we were walking to football practice and we looked up and we saw one plane in the sky and later realized that that was Air Force One flying from off at Air Force Base back out to Washington, D.C. And it was just an eerie feeling of not knowing what was going to happen next. It's not like it was a hurricane and they were dealing with it. It was, we were all dealing with it at the time because it was, our freedom was in trouble. I was assigned to go up to the ticket counter and pull the jet bridge up to the planes. But before I did that, I had to say a prayer because at this time, aircrafts were being used as weapons against us. And so I wasn't sure what was going to happen when I opened up that aircraft door. And in the newsroom was on the fourth floor and it was one huge room, over 125 employees sitting, working. And the parameter of the newsroom had um, television sets up. And we were there when the towers came down. And I will never forget that memory as long as I live, that the towers came down and over 100 people stopped, gasped, cried and then put their grief aside and kept working. I just saw the look in everybody's eyes and their faces I'll just never forget. Just deep despair, shock, disbelief, and fear. And so all I could say to all of them as I was looking down this row of all these people was to just say, God bless all of you. We all looked up at the same time and mouthed the words, thank you. It's a heavy day. 20 years ago yesterday, 9-11, um, terrorists attacked American soil in New York City, Washington, D.C., ultimately Pennsylvania, too. And all of us who are old enough to remember probably remember in detail where we were when we heard the news, how it felt, um, how things developed, our, our, our emotions on a certain level that day. Maybe we remember more. I want to thank the members of our church who participated in that video. 
Um, Mary Steer is the publisher of the Des Moines Register at the time. Eric Hansen, who's a reporter for KCCI back then, now he's morning anchor. Justin Stofa and Mike Horseman and my wife Sally, who was a gate agent, a customer service agent uh, for one of the airlines at the Des Moines airport that day. And um, it hits home, you know, back when it happened, I, I, um, I was nervous and anxious for my wife being at the airport that day. <laughs> I remember when she called, she only had a few seconds to tell me about it and uh, from her perspective, make sure we were both okay. Uh, but as my wife said in that clip, in that video that you just saw, planes were, commercial airplanes were being used as weapons, as missiles. Uh, and she didn't know what she was gonna get when she walked to the end of the jet bridge and opened up one of the, the airplane doors. She didn't know if it would detonate a bomb didn't know if there'd be terrorists on the other side. There was no way of knowing for sure. And here we are in Des Moines, Iowa, of all places, and never before and probably at no time, hopefully, in the future either, were there that many commercial airlines on our, um, uh, our, at our airport coming up to our gates. Because planes that were going to Miami or, or Seattle or Anchorage, Alaska, if they were over Iowa airspace at that moment, when the FAA said everybody needs to land, everybody's grounded, then they, they landed in Des Moines. They lined up to land in Des Moines. 747s, DC-10s, back when they had those, and uh, little jets, big jets, all, all of them, all different airlines, airlines that weren't even, had, you know, customers at Des Moines usually. Chaos. It was turmoil. It was emotional. It was heavy. Some of you weren't born then, a lot of you. We have a young church, others of you too young to remember, but for those of us who are old enough, we remember. We remember the details, and that's one of the phrases that gets used a lot, and I think appropriately so. Never forget. Never forget what happened on 9-11, on but on the next screen the question is asked, well, what is it that we should never forget? I want to take that phrase, never forget, and just push it a little deeper for you today. And especially put it in the context of us as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. What is it we're supposed to never forget? Some of it's obvious, but, but some of it can be kind of twisted and, and turned, and, and it can be about something that's probably less important than it should be about. What is it that God would want us to never forget? What, what is it that our faith tells us? What is it scriptures tell us? What, what is it, and how does this affect and, and find relevance into our daily lives? What is it that we should never forget? Well, the first thing is the hardest thing that I want to point you to, and it's maybe uh, if, if we have the kind of faith that just wants to be all, you know, sunshine and roses and soft and fuzzy versions of God, and, and that's as far as it goes, then we don't want to talk about evil. We don't want to talk about darkness. We don't want to talk about the enemy of God, the devil. We, we don't want to talk about any of that. But all that stuff's in the Bible. And we saw it. We, we, we saw it manifested on 9-11. It's not just limited to that one day for sure. We still see it if our eyes are open. The darkness of evil is, is all around us, and it's because we live in a fallen upside-down world. It, it goes all the way back to once upon a time, at the very beginning of creation. First words out of God's mouth, according to Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. Consider the force behind that. If we say let there be light, we can't change the lighting in the room that we're sitting in right now, whatever campus, local site you're at. Uh, most of you are, are worshiping with us online right now. 
Let's try. Let's say what God said and see if we can make a difference in the lights in the room. Let's, let now, you know, let's, let's all work together on this. Let, let's come together. Let's, let's pool our collective internal power, the, the, the force that's inside of us, the, 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 the deep down, you know, thing that we've got that in there. Because, boy, we can do anything, right? So on the counter, when we just work together, we can do anything. Let's do this. We, we don't need anything. We just need ourselves. We just need us. Let's just pull together and let's say, let there be light. Let's double the illumination in the room wherever we are. Ready? One, two, three. Let there be light. Nothing. It's humbling. And it's a good reminder. Never forget that. We can't do what only God can do. Only God has the power to create light out of nothing. To create light out of darkness. Only God has the power to create the heavens and the earth. Only God has the power to bring life to you. To bring life to me. To bring life to our world. Only God has that power. And so part of remembering and never forgetting that evil is real and the terrorist attacks on 9-11 almost 20 years years and a day ago are certainly a manifestation of evil. What's worse for me as somebody who's religious, and I would think those of you who call yourselves religious too, is that the terrorists who carried out this attack did so under the name of their religion did so in a way that was that that was off did did so in an extremist way though I think that word is misused too because people who take religion seriously if we take our faith seriously we're going to be pointed to peace and love any major world religion if we take it seriously we're going to be pointed to peace and love it's when we actually minimize our religion and maximize our ideology and our worldview and in this case it was terrorists and involved in Al-Qaeda, who took Islam, twisted it around, and ended up with a version of it that isn't true, uh, that isn't true to, to the Quran, and ended up doing something that was absolutely dark and evil. It can happen. To a lesser degree, Christians still to this day can twist the words of Scripture and use it as a pawn to further a hate-filled ideology, to further a worldview. And if you aren't careful, Christian, if you aren't careful, church, you're going to be misled. Because people will quote the Bible. People will say this is in Scripture. People will twist the words of Jesus. People will it'll come out sideways. So for the next several weeks here at Hope, not just because of this or, or, or for that reason, but that's a part of it. We're going to focus in on this series of sermons on some of the more radical things Jesus said. And not just, you know, pull text out of context, but take you deeper into these words. So that we understand how to apply them in our daily lives. Because the world, perhaps as much as ever, needs Christians to be Christians today. Needs the church to be church. Needs children of God to be children of God. And to not end up with this sort of twisted view that the terrorists had back then that somehow we need to get our religion to fit our hate. We need to get our, our way of life, our groups, our congregations, our, our gatherings, our churches, we need to make sure our church fits our wisdom of this world kind of ideology and the, and the way we see things. Because, you know, when we hear the people we allow to be our lords, people allow to be our lords, not God, the people we allow to be our lords and influence us to that degree and have that kind of authority on us, they start quoting scripture and they start talking about religious things and that makes us all the more secure that the way we're going, even though it isn't of God, 
is of God. We think it is, but it isn't. It's like me hitting a golf shot from the tee. Even if it's two degrees off, I'm ending up out of bounds. The problem is, is when we're all out of bounds and we get a whole bunch of other people around us to say, hey, we're in bounds, but we're really out of bounds. That's how we twist. That's how we turn. That's how evil rears its ugly head. At the very beginning, when God said, let there be light, soon after, people show up. And what do people do? They bite into the forbidden fruit. God says, there's one tree you can't eat from. It's the tree of life. It's the tree of, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can't bite into the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is another tree in the garden. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't bite into that forbidden fruit. But what do Adam and Eve do? They bite into it. And so we say, oh, those people really ruined it for all the rest of us. Adam and Eve really messed the whole deal up for us. And there's some truth to that. But if you really want to know what the Bible says, if you really want to take it seriously, you need to know that in the original text of Genesis, in the original story, the Hebrew word, because the Bible was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for Adam is mankind. And Eve is of mankind. That's literally what their names mean. And so this story is clearly written about the first two people that God created, but it's also our story. This is where we fit into the garden. We are humankind. We are humanity. We are Adam and Eve in this story. Their story is our story. Our story is their story. So we can't just point the finger at them. It's us. That's why this world is upside down. That's why it's twisted. That's the motivation for people to take religion, twist it around and turn out and end up doing horribly dark and evil things. And I'll guarantee you, if you ask them, they think it's righteous. They think it's holy. And they'll even say that. They'll talk about how they're doing this because of their religion. They're doing this because of the way their, the, the, their religion has taught them to see the world. The world needs Christians to be Christians. It needs the church to be the church. It needs us as children of God to be children of God. Perhaps now more than ever. We should never forget that. We should learn that from 9-11. And continue to remember it over and over and over again that we aren't that far away from getting lost as well. I guess the question is, who do you allow to be Lord? Who do you allow to have that kind of authority? Who do you allow to have that kind of voice in your life? Do you try to get your religion to fit into those voices of human wisdom? Or do you make sure that human wisdom fits into the timeless truth of God's word? Do you make sure that, that, that one bows down to the other and what doesn't bow down is... Jesus Christ or his church. With all due respect, we don't take a knee for any human worldview. We don't say, oh, well, we're a little nervous. We've got to make sure we sound like you. We've got to make sure we fit inside your box. It's the other way around. The world could use some humility right about now. The world could use a little bit of humility that we aren't the ones who can say, let there be light and there's light. That we aren't the ones who can bring creation, we aren't the ones who can breathe life into the dust and create a human being. We are the ones who were created by this God. Original sin is refusing to accept our condition as being under God when we want to be as God. We want to have the knowledge that only God could have of good and evil. We want to be able to do what only God can do instead of embracing who we are as people created by God and children of God. We should never forget that. We should never forget that the flip side of that same coin, that evil exists and the darkness is real, but it doesn't come because God is messed up. It comes because 
we've ended up with a skewed version of who God is. When we take our religion seriously, we can't go there. When we go all in on our faith, we're going to end up with love and with peace and with calls for justice and with, with, with a call and a reminder to humbly turn around and turn back to God first. Where do you go to first for your source of authority to discern what's going on in our world? Who do you allow to interpret that for you? And do you say, now I need my religion to fit that view, or do you need that view to fit Jesus Christ? We should never forget. The Lord is near to us, those who are brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The flip side of the coin of evil and darkness being real is the darkness is real, but so is the light. The light of Jesus Christ is bigger than the darkness. It overwhelms the darkness. Talking about the radical statements of Jesus, well, here's a radical statement that was written about Jesus when he was born. He is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness could never extinguish it, John 1.5. The darkness is real, but we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as the church, as children of God, we do not need to be intimidated by the darkness. The darkness does not get the last word. The terrorists do not win the fight in the end. The, 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 the evil, the, the, the cloud of dust that, that, that starts in New York and, and moves across the land and in many ways around the whole world does not get the final say on these things. Never forget that. God's light is bigger than the darkness. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says, and I'm close to the brokenhearted, and I send heroes in to, to the rescue for this. A few months after 9-11, it was the Super Bowl, and I'll never forget it. I do not remember, talk about never forget, I do not remember who played that football game. I'm sure I could look it up, or some of you are maybe big fans of one of the teams and you remember, but I remember who did the halftime show that day. It was you two. Three of the four band members in U2 are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and they've been working on the bass player for a couple of decades. He's a good guy, but not quite there yet. But so they're up there, including Bono, the lead singer, and they're singing this song, Where the Streets Have No Name, which is right out of the pages of Scripture. Unapologetically, they're singing their, their hit rock songs about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, about following the better way, the deeper truth that leads us to the more abundant life. And as they're singing this song at the Super Bowl, up comes this big sheet and projected on the sheet are all the names of the 2,966 people who died in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Only, of course, there's no time in one song to scroll all of the names. They start scrolling, but there's no way you're going to see them all in one song. There's too many names. So in a sense, that reminds us, never forget of the weight of the catastrophe, the, the grief, the mourning, the sorrow, the, the level of death that happened that day on our own soil, our own land. But then as they sang the song, do you remember what happened halfway through? At a very, at a very kind of important moment in the song, as the song turns from no hope to hope, the names crumble down. The darkness falls down. And what's behind the darkness? The light. Here comes the light of the world, Jesus Christ, breaking through the darkness. Never forget that. God's light is bigger. And we felt it. If you remember, we experienced it back on 9-11. And nothing less will do. Because, man, this stuff is heavy. It's not just 2,966 people who died in New York City, in Washington, D.C., in Pennsylvania uh, 20 years ago yesterday. It's, it's the, the heroes 
the, the firefighters and, and from New York and other cities who came in and, and, and the police officers and the first responders who went heroically, courageously into the cloud of poison that ended up taking thousands, if not tens of thousands of their lives in the months and years to follow, went into it, put their lives on the line. Some of them died right on the spot in that moment as the buildings came down, but others died later. Who is more Christ-like on the face of the earth these days than heroes like this who answer the call, whatever your vocation, whatever it is, firefighters, police officers, first responders, active military, people who do what the Bible says, stand in the gap for the sake of the rest of us. Stand in the gap for, for, for causes that are bigger than themselves, for people that they might not ever meet and ever know or be introduced to. It's good for us to never forget that. It's good for us to remember that there are heroes walking among us. I'm preaching to some of them right now. You know who you are. The people who answer this call and go and serve in a very Christ-like way. Jesus Christ says, no greater love is the world known than this. Here's a radical statement. But that someone would be willing to give up his life for his friends. Of course, Jesus was referring to himself in his journey that he was taking to the cross as a sacrifice for the whole world, for you, for me. To take our sins and to have them crucified, uh, put to death on the cross so they'll no longer be held against us. But we see examples of that. And the heroic efforts of all these people, or medical professionals who stand in the gap for us these days. In the face of a deadly pandemic and go to work day after day after day. Even though they know by serving these patients they could be the next ones to get this virus. And in some cases they've sacrificed their lives for it. Turn the page and it gets even bigger. It's not just the nearly 3,000 people who died on 9-11 or the thousands or tens of thousands of first responders who died from the cloud of dust that day in the months and years to follow. It's the subsequent wars that we responded with as a nation in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and the special missions that were carried out. There was a man walking out at the last service, and he's very humble, didn't say a word about it, but his wife said, this is my husband. He's been in the military for 34 years. He, was, he just got home from Germany. He was there. He was helping the refugees from Afghan, and he looked at me, and he said, thousands of them. Thousands of them. Here's some pictures of thousands of those heroes who died over the last almost 20 years during the Afghan war. It's on the Washington Post website, and it's a page called Faces of the Fallen. 2,354 have died since 9-11. So the toll, the death toll keeps going up. It keeps rising and rising. And that's just Afghanistan. That's not Iraq, which was even more. And this is just, if you see it in the small print up there, this is page one of 96. These are living human beings who gave up their lives for you, who sacrificed it all, who put it on the line. And the cool thing about this website is, is you can zoom in. More than half of these heroes are between the ages, this is gut-wrenching, between the ages of 20 and 24 when they died. Just kids, young adults. 
In addition, there are over 3,800 American contractors who died in the Afghan war alone, 444 missionaries, 72 journalists who were trying to make sure that the world knew to bring into the light that which would otherwise disappear in the darkness. To say, this is what's happening. Here's what's going on. 72 of them died. I clicked one of the pictures. You can do that on this site. And, and then you click it and, and you read their story. Here's their name. Here's where they're from. Here, here was their rank. Here, here's where, here's the, the branch of the military they served in. Here's where they died. Here's how they died. The battle they were fighting. Whatever it might be. And you start to realize just how personal this gets. Just randomly, I happened to go back a screen. I just happened to click this one right here, which goes to the next screen, and it turns out he was right here, Deegan, one of the 13 heroes who died in Afghanistan recently trying to get Americans and Afghan refugees out to safety. There's no greater love than this, Jesus says, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You click that picture and it zooms in again and there's Deegan Page and you start to realize how close this hits to home. He grew up in Iowa, one of the 13. Southwestern Iowa, Red Oak, near Stanton where a lot of, not a lot of you, some of you are from including our first council president, Cal Holtman here. He's a member of St. Paul's Lutheran Church. He and his family moved to Omaha when he was a kid and they're a part of the church family, the Lutheran Church family in Omaha called St. Paul's Lutheran Church. That's where his funeral was. It hits a whole lot closer to home when you start to realize these are people who don't live that far away. These are people who are a part of the same church denomination that we're a part of. They, they, they live and breathe the same air that we live and breathe. And they step out in Christ-like ways and serve. On the next screen you see a picture that it just, I had to share it with you. There's a little Afghan boy who's being handed over to some United States soldiers recently, and they're receiving him. And I want you to not just think of the heroic deeds of the soldiers, which are clearly a part of this picture, a big part of it, to receive him, to take him in. That's letting your light shine. But consider the love of the parents who out of love for their son are saying goodbye to him who are letting him go because they think it might be his only chance to, to live. How much do you have to love your son to give him to strangers because you think he has a way better chance with you of making it? And we're worried about our first world problems. Oh, the coleslaw was runny yesterday for lunch. Oh no, what are we going to do? Yeah, what are, what are we going to do? Sit back and pretend there's no darkness, there's no evil, there's no need for light? Have some sort of minimalist, shallow faith that says, God, why don't you fix this? Uh, we pray for peace on earth. How come you're not bringing peace on earth? We pray for the pandemic to go away. How come you're not making it go away? Well, come on, God. Why, why don't you just fix this? Why don't you just do something about it? Darkness is real, but so is the light. God is doing something about it, just like he did 20 years ago on 9-11. Do you remember what happened? Those of you who are old enough to remember, and if you're not, you need to know this. Here's what happened. 9-11 happened, and a revival broke out in this country. 
people started showing up at churches, including this one. Well, not in this room where I'm standing now, because this was a grass field back then. In that room across the hall that we call the bridge now, but it was only half of that room. We didn't invite them. We, we didn't put a call out. People just started showing up. And I'm not talking about two or three or even 20 or 30. I'm talking about two or 300 people. Start showing up and they say, oh, I just needed to come to my church. I just needed to come and pray because I don't know where else to go. Yeah. When the darkness gets so dark, when the evil becomes so blatant and in our face, where else do we turn? What does Peter say in John 6, 68? Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to turn? Human wisdom? Ideological worldviews? You have the words of eternal life, Peter said. You and you alone. Where else can we go? Where else can we turn for direction? Where else can we go to find comfort? Where else can we go to find peace? Where else can we go to find hope? Where else can we go to find somebody who has something to say when the rest of us are falling silent? Even those voices we allowed to be our lords for a while. Only you can say, let there be light and there's light. Only you have that kind of power. Where else are we going to go, Lord? And so people started showing up. Maybe you were one of them. And then, you know, we're not totally dense. We said, well, why don't we plan a service? So we planned a service for that day. You know, when I woke up Tuesday, I didn't think we're going to have a worship service at Hope. And it's going to be overflowing. That's exactly what happened. This is before social media was a big deal, and yet the word got out. People showed up. People, some of the people who showed up had never been to church before. And it started to happen, not just at Hope, in churches all over the country, and maybe around the world. P people started coming, and so we had a service again that night, and we had a service the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, and, and almost every day for weeks to follow, not just on weekends, but all throughout the week. We did it because where else are we going to go? Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to write this to the church in Corinth. And I believe part of the reason is because the church in Corinth was at a crossroads. They were at one of those you know, forks in the road where you have to decide. Am I, as a religious person, going to take the big wide road that's filled with hate and anger and sounds kind of religious and it sounds like it's righteous and I, and I think that's the way we're supposed to go? Or am I going to take the narrow road, the way of Jesus Christ? The way that says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. The way that turns the other cheek. The, the way that knows the power of love and believes in it. it is more powerful than any other force. The, the, the way of harmony. The, the, the way of justice. The, the way of saying, I'm not going to be a part of a, of a world that, that wanders off a few degrees and calls it religious and thinks that we have the authority with arrogance to redefine things that have been around in God's word for centuries. Definitions of who people are and family and what it means to love. It's a big wide road out there and it's very attractive and it's very tempting and it goes all sorts of different, there's all sorts of big wide roads in all sorts of different directions. And they even sound religious. But then there's this way of Jesus Christ. We need to know that way. We need to know what he really says. And not just listen to people interpret that for us. Including me. You need to be in God's word. You need to make sure that what we're saying up here is true to God's word. 
This is what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to a church that was at that kind of a fork in the road where they could go a lot of different ways. He says, look, the message of the cross is foolish. You can minimize it. You can say, we don't really need Jesus' way. We need Jesus to come along and bless this, this, this road of gray or darkness that we want to walk. And Jesus, with all due respect, says, I'm not interested in that at all. I don't bow down to your ways. You don't get to put me to the test. I put your ways to the test. Come and follow me. I'm the Lord. I'm not intimidated by your your power or a bunch of people are saying this. I don't care, Jesus says. I'm inviting you to return to me, to turn back, to turn to me first, to come back to the Lord. I don't care how popular your way becomes. I'm calling you to follow my way because it will bless you and it will bless the world around you. And if you don't do it, this world's going to crumble. It's not just what's in it for you. It's not just what can I get out of Jesus. It's Jesus calling you into the whole game. Calling you to be Christ-like, like these heroes among us. In whatever way God is calling you to do it. Bloom where you're planted. Be the church wherever you are. At work, at school, in your social circles, in your neighborhoods. Be the corrective. Wake up this sleeping giant. The message of the cross, when it gets minimized, it sounds foolish to those who are headed for destruction. They say, oh, well, Jesus, that's nice and everything, but this is the really important stuff. No, it's not. It's always been Jesus, and it always will be. But we who are being saved know this, that it's the very power of God. And so when 9-11 happened, a revival happened. Take a look. It was a sense of fear. We had no idea what was ahead of us. But I also would say in the days that followed, there was a sense of unity, a sense of unity that we, you know, scripture says there's uh, no Jew or Gentile. Um, We are all one in the body of Christ. I don't know that ever before or ever since we've had a day of such unity. Of, of people who were scared, looking for answers, rallying around the flag, but also seeking out their faith, realizing life is short. It can be taken away from you in, in a heartbeat. And it was just this wake up call that said, we need to be thankful for what we have and we need to concentrate on what's most important in life. I think that's probably been my big, biggest experience in the military. Sometimes conflict brings about the best unity at the back end. And, Uh, How a lot of people are brought to faith on the back end is going through crisis together and having kind of a shared purpose. Everybody was looking out for everybody at that moment. And I felt that that at the airport too. I felt like you would find people just saying, I'm going, you know, I'm headed to Omaha. Anybody need a ride? Another person, I'm headed to St. Louis. You need a ride. I mean, people were willing to help complete strangers. A lot of people were going to church services downtown, out in the suburbs, all over the country. Everyone was looking for those answers. And I remember a couple days later going to Hope and talking to Pastor Mike about all of the people going at these almost emergency prayer sessions that were popping up over noon hours. I headed over to the church to find Mike and he was in a staff meeting where they were already planning a prayer service for people to come. And which that was a great thing because I knew how bad everybody needed God at that moment. But we had a lot of services, and um, a lot of people came to every one of those services. There was a lot of heavy emotion in those. We just needed to react. We needed to be there. We needed to know that God was still with us. 
I was so grateful because it, you can imagine the intensity of what we felt at the register and the responsibility and exhaustion that we felt. And as a young leader, I felt that on my shoulders. But to walk into the worship center, I'll never forget that feeling. And being able to release it, just being able to release it to God and know we were going to be okay. We were going to be okay. And to hear Mike's message. Um, I mean, I can remember watching Mike and knowing the weight that he had on his shoulders. And then he got up and started to preach and it was like he was being held in God's hands. There isn't a darkness that is so deep that God's light won't shine. And so my encouragement and my hope and my prayer for you and this community around us is God can use this church and all the other churches around us as spiritual lighthouses to shine a beacon of hope out into this community, into the darkness, into this cloud of dust that started in New York City and has enveloped our entire nation, if not most of the world. In the face of this darkness, this evil, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And when your lights don't work anymore, let my light shine into the darkness. Let it break through. Because here's the best news you'll hear all week. God's light still shines. Still shines. I think he was led by God to know exactly what to say and exactly what to do and how to handle the situation because there was no manual for anybody to go through September 11. There was fear, but we did know that God was with us. And so putting our faith and letting your faith be stronger than your fear was a huge way of trying to deal with this. We were in the news business. People were looking to us to give them information and context. But hope was in the good news business. People turned to hope for just that, for hope and reassurance that we would get through this and all would be well in the end. I think it was just a testament to how the church is the light of the world. In times like this, we have maybe the greatest opportunity, um, you know, when we're most vulnerable, um, to to be be that light that God calls us to be. When people's hearts are maybe most open. Open your hearts, church. I mean, the need is great, not just for you personally, for the world around you. Now's the time. The church needs to be the church. Christians need to be Christian. Children of God need to be children of God. You know what the terrorists on 9-11 underestimated? The light. The darkness underestimated the light. They forgot that the light wins over the darkness. Never forget that. You cannot fight darkness with darkness, as Martin Luther King famously said. Only light has the power to overcome it. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you need to get the darkness with darkness of your own. Only the light has that power. The Lord is my light and salvation, the scriptures declare. And Jesus radically says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says this, he says, yeah, but you're the light of the world too. The church needs to be the church. It's time to step up. It's time for us to understand who we are and what we've been empowered to do and not minimize this Christian journey we're on as something that we're just here to consume 
and take in and see if we get something out of it. That it's so much more than that. That this is where the view gets good on that narrow road following Jesus. The scenery that you get to see. Oh, it's a road of sacrifice. It's a road where you're going to have to give up some things. It's a road where, 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 where you're going to wonder sometimes why it's so hard and why it's so difficult. But the view. What you're going to see from there. That you will never see taking the wide roads of darkness. So a revival happened after 9-11, but... The absolutely heartbreaking thing to me is it didn't last. It's also heartbreaking to me that there's been no revival during this pandemic. I'm shocked, to be honest. And it just reminds me that we must not be there yet. Our hearts must not be open to it. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying I thought there'd be a huge wave. I thought we'd be humbled enough to say, where else are we going to turn? Where else can we go? But we've devolved into, into wide roads. And thinking it's all about that. And, and, and making it all about human wisdom and worldviews. And letting people be our lords. And following their ways. There's a better way. There's a deeper truth. That leads to a more abundant life. It's the way of Jesus Christ. And there's no substitute for it. The one who is the light of the world says, you now are the light of the world. You go out and do this. You go out and carry this out. Whoever you are. Whether you're here in this room in West Des Moines right now or you're one of our other campuses or locations or you're getting this service interpreted to you via sign language by our ASL interpreter or it's being interpreted to you from English, my English, to Spanish that you can understand because you've actually got headphones on right now and there's somebody in the booth right behind the baptismal font who's taking these words and translating them into Spanish. Whoever you are, whatever it is that's led you here today, this message is for you. It is the message of hope that we need to hear you're the light of the world so now let your light shine how are you doing that how are you coming alongside how are you activating your faith how are you in the game hide it under a bush this light of Jesus Christ that he gives to you oh no I'm going to let it shine we learned that when we were in kindergarten never forget Never forget that this light is bigger than the darkness. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. If you believe, you won't perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know what Jesus says next? Not the most famous verse, but the very next verses. God brought his light into the world, but people chose the darkness. They're enamored by the darkness. They love the darkness. They're tempted by the darkness. They wander away from the revival and say, now that we're more comfortable and we don't think for sure we're going to die, we don't really need God as much as we thought we did. Oh, but you do. With all due respect, you need God just as much when things are good as when they're bad. God calls us to follow. Oh, well, praise God for that. The darkness is tempting. Don't step over there. Stay on the path. I know it's hard. I know you're going to take hits for it. (laughs) I've taken more hits in the last year and a half than the 20-some years before. And so is every pastor I know. Ridiculous. Absolutely. It doesn't even bother me anymore. I expect it. But it just keeps coming because we're on the wrong pathways. Let your light shine. Let it shine. You're going to get hit for this if you do. If you insist on saying, well, actually, let's put some of those views to the test, the Jesus test, instead of the other way around. Let's make sure we're following the light. And let's get into the game. 
When I got my driver's license as a kid, I was so excited because now I can drive. Right now I'm free. And then it, it dawned on me, I don't have a car. So here's a picture of my first car. Don't be jealous. It is, as you might be thinking, a 1980 Plymouth Horizon. Yes, I know. There are no Plymouths anymore, and there's good reason for that. This is actually a Dodge Omni, but it's a twin of, of the Plymouth Horizon. That had real vinyl, none of the fake stuff. I mean, it, it, was, it was four on the floor, zero to 60 in a day and a half. That, that thing, that had rust on every panel. I mean, it was on its last legs, but man, it was great the day my dad said to me, here's the keys. It's yours. You drive it. Be careful. <laughs> but here, it's your car. So I went out and I got my ZZ Top keychain and I put it on because <laughs> I thought I was a sharp-dressed man, or I wanted to be at least at the time, because every girl's crazy about a sharp-dressed man. And, and I had my car, and I was free to go. And I mean, life was as good as it could possibly be. So what does this have to do with 9-11 and Jesus' radical statements? Some of you already know. Matthew 16, Jesus is starting to hint at the establishment of the church. Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the one, you're the Lord. I'm following your narrow path. Jesus goes on to define that. And a few verses later, he says, Peter, I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys. You're the body of Christ, Peter. Not just you. Everybody who believes. Everybody who follows me. I'm giving you the keys, church. Jesus, your Lord, says, I'm giving you the keys. 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 What are you doing with it? Where are you driving? Where are you going to take this power that God has given to you? Where are you saying, oh, my car's a piece of junk. So what? Ride. Let's go. Another radical story just as we wrap up. Jesus stands before a crowd of 5,000 people. The disciples are freaking out because they know they're hungry. And they come to Jesus and they say this minimalistic, shallow faith. Jesus, you have to do something. You have to send them home or, or do some great miracle. And what does Jesus say before he does a miracle, before he prays, before he blesses the five loaves of bread and the two fish? Did you read the story in Mark chapter 6? Before Jesus does any of that, he looks back at his disciples. That's you. That's me. That's the church. And he says, you feed them. You go. You've got the power. I've given it to you. My spirit is in you. Not in some vague, distant way. I'm with you always, Jesus says. Radical. I'm with you always. I'm right here right now. My light for your darkness. You don't give up hope. You don't fall into despair. You, you, you don't wander away from the peace that passes all human understanding. You don't walk away from my untouchable joy. It's here for you. You go feed them. And so we do. Not because we're so special, but we started this little ministry They here at Hope that turned into Meals from the Heartland that now feeds millions of people every year. Look what God can do. When are you going to find out what God can do through you? When are you going to find out? When are you going to take that step of faith and say, God, right here, I don't have to go to seminary. I don't have to join the military. If God calls you to do those things, do those things. I don't have to become a firefighter or a police officer. Maybe if that's your call, do it. But I do have to take a step of faith. I do have to go. I challenge you, church. It's time. It's not just for your own benefit. It's for the benefit of the world around you. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm so glad you asked. Here's the list. I'll put it on my Facebook page today. It has links of all the different ministries, Bible studies, classes, missions, things that you can be a part of here during this rally weekend and this month as we renew and start new ministries. It's the perfect time. 
It's rally weekend. Let's go, church. Get into the game. Fire up. You're called in. Some of you were at the football game yesterday, and some of you are really happy about the way it went, and others of you are here to be reminded that the darkness is real, but so is the light. It's going to be okay. (laughs) You'll get over it. The coleslaw will be better next time. It's just a game. My son Danny sent this picture to me. He got friends of his in Ames. He's the pastor at Hope Ames. Got tickets, and I think it's like the fifth row behind the Iowa State bench. It's just awesome. You know what would be even better than that? Being Jake or Chase in the starting lineup for the Iowa State offense. Jake and Chase are a part of our church family and leaders in our college ministry up in Ames. Or, or one of the Hawkeyes who's starting to come to Kairos in Iowa City. For Cyclone fans, you're like, seriously, they love Jesus there too? I, I'm shocked. I can't believe it. It's true. It's true. Not only do they win, they love Jesus. I don't know. How much better to be in the game? You are called in to the game. Your Lord, your coach, your master, your friend, Jesus. Get into the game. Drive the car. Feed the hungry. Be a part of the church. Activate your faith. It's for you. It's for the world around us. If we don't love, who will? If we don't serve, who will? When I was a sophomore in high school, I'll close here, I uh, got called up to varsity for the last few games of the, of the basketball season. And the only, don't be impressed, the only reason I did is because one of the kids on varsity quit. And so I ended up being the 12th man on a 12-man roster for like the last two or three games. And I was thrilled with that because I got the cool warm-ups, you know, name got put in the program. I, I was all excited. Plus I had this ZZ Top keychain. Everything was clicking in my life. During the last game of the season, my sophomore year, one of the kids was in foul trouble on our team, one of the starters. Coach looks down, game's still on the line, which was shocking to me, because I would only play garbage minutes at this point. He looks down the bench and he says, Householder, you're in the game! Not only was I shocked, all the other guys, on my teammates on the bench were shocked, because they were ahead of me on the depth chart. They're like, Householder? The sophomore? Do you know what that did to me? It reminded me that my coach believes in me, that he has confidence in me. It's not like I played great, but it put me on a trajectory for the next two years that changed the way I played that game. It's, but that's just a game. This is life. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. Look at me. I could be center field. Thank you, John Fogarty. You know what? That's such a good song. Let's sing it. Let's stand up. Let's go ahead and say, and as you see views of what the church can be and what God is calling you to do, fire up, church. You're in the game. Let your light shine. Hide it under a bush. Oh no! Let it shine. Stop by the tables on the way out. Get on the on our website. Find your place at church. Activate your faith. Let's go. The world's depending on it. Let your light shine. <laughs>